Iowa's News Now Sports has your all-access pass to all things Hawkeyes. This is Eye on the Hawks, sponsored by University of Iowa Healthcare. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, we got great colors. I was easy to spell, right? I mean, that's really, so I don't know. That's a good question. And that, folks, is how you get a T-shirt made. <laughs> that was less than 24 hours ago, and Raygun does what Raygun does, Iowa. Great colors, easy to spell, and you see the trademark next to it. That is an officially university-licensed use, which you don't get a whole lot with Raygun, but there you go. And with that, we welcome you to the Big Ten Championship edition of Eye on the Hawks. Mitch Fick with Owen Sebring and Mike Howell. About to break everything down between the wolves. Yeah, there's a lot of space. There's a there's a lot of space. That's what we call bad producing, my friends. I forgot to. (laughs) I knew I was forgetting something. I didn't look up for those that are watching. For our friends, for those that are watching on the YouTube, uh, Iowa's News Now YouTube channel live. Usually, you've got some closer framed shots of us here in the broadcast park studio of of myself and Owen. Uh, I took the time to go frame up Mike's shot as I'm wont to do and. uh, Didn't get a thank you for that, but that's okay. But Mike's Mike's got a ton on his plate, and this is so you get to watch the. This is how the sausage is made. If you're watching live, up there we go. There we go. This is fascinating for the people on the audio only side, getting to listen to us talk about about camera angles. That's nice. But there you go. That's a nice shot. And that is how. So we're we're using for those again watching on the YouTube channel. We're using. The, the studio cameras that we would use for newscasts, sportscasts, for Iron Locks on the TV side, all that. So we, there's a lot of, Mike, if you want to explain a little bit about how, <laughs> yeah, how we're using just like an setup all, works. We're, we're just plugged into the, the, the cameras, the, two of them. We used to use three, but I'd never really used the two shots, so we, we went away from that. But um, got them plugged in, and I got like an online website where I can move the cameras around from my seat. Typically do that before the show, but I didn't today. So <laughs> as is tradition. Yeah. But that's what I like about the shot that you have. So we're using for Mike. That's not a studio camera. That's just I think it's Owens or Curtis. It's Owens camera, yeah. yeah. Owens camera, like that he goes and shoots these games out with. Uh, but I like the fact that we've got your kind of setup in that shot, so people get that behind mm-hmm. the scenes look. So. Um, accidentally, we've given more of a behind-the-scenes look of just what we're doing to to put this whole thing together as we get ready for a 13th game of the season. Of course, you can also follow Eye on the Hawks <laughs> on Twitter, just on Eye on the Hawks, and on the Iowa's News Now Instagram channel. A lot of those little clippable pieces. Mike does a great job of getting those up and uh, sharing those throughout the week. People, I feel like that's the podcast. I mean, we get downloads and listens and, and views and things like that. I feel like the way to really grab people, though, as, as we're talking behind the curtain a little bit here, just like those little minute and a half yeah, little digestibles. I mean, that's probably like, pardon my take and um, talking Hawks of the Vandenbergs, which will- we'll I was just about to plug that because I saw I follow him on Instagram and I haven't watched a show of theirs and he, Matt Vandenberg is going to be on Eye on the Hawks on the TV side, airs Thursday. And then it airs again on Saturday morning on Fox um, before, uh, way before the, all their coverage. But I saw the clip from, um, they spoke to Cade this week, and I was like, wow, I need to watch that. But I feel like it's a way, not just podcasts, but content in general is going, is you see clips on social media, and that goes and sends you to where the full-length stuff is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll we'll give look. another little peek behind the scenes here. Uh, we have not one, not two, but three Ricola's uh, standing behind the coffee cup over here for Mitch Fick. Um, guys, under the weather a little bit. 
call this the the flu podcast, if you will. It's not no, um, this is not. I'm not heading, hanging off Scotty Pippen. I, I think that Just doing my best. I don't want to uh, turn this into a <laughs> ad ad space for Ricola. Although we'll welcome them as sponsors if uh, they'd like to join in. But is that also going? what Kirk eats or whatever he, what he's chewing on right before a game? A couple of the road games when he's out there in front of the team, I've kind of like tried to zoom in on his hands because he's always unwrapping a he's candy. Got gum. Yeah, he's, he's got, got his got famous gum. gum chewer. And there was a point where I know the Northwestern game. It was a recall. Well, he's had, had a co- he's had a cough for a couple months too. That's true. I remember he told you just like yeah, it's October. Yeah, yeah. Reese has his thing too. So I guess Reese Morgan and him just <laughs> they understand on October one we're gonna be they're sharing hacking. water bottles. We're gonna be hacking for uh, for a little while. I'm I'm gonna look up Kirk Ferentz gum and I guarantee it'll say somewhere like what kind of chewing gum does he prefer? This was asked by Big Ten Network at some point because of course it was. Uh, it's a video clip, so I'm not gonna say it, or sit here and watch it. But yeah, he. Chews a lot of gum. Yeah. That's that's how he does. Also a lozenge guy. But <coughs> yeah, and I need one too, too, clearly. Um, now that we've got all that important stuff out of the way, let's focus on this Big Ten title game thing that's going on in uh, Indy on Saturday, up against the number two undefeated East Division champion, Michigan Wolverines. You probably don't need a whole lot of the tail to tape because they are what you probably think they are. 10.3 points allowed per game. That is the best rate in FBS. Iowa, for the record, is fourth, just over 12 points a game given up. Blake Corum, your Big Ten running back of the year, just announced by the league a couple of hours ago. Third in the league in rushing with 976 rush yards, 22 rushing touchdowns, not just the most in the league, but the most in college football at the Division One level. It's going to be a coughing, uh, it's going to be a coughing <coughs> podcast here. Apologize to all the listeners. Uh, and I'm pretty sure 22 touchdowns, we were talking about this off camera a couple weeks ago, and I'm sure the rate has kept up probably ahead of Iowa's touchdown output. It was. I believe he had 18 when I looked it up. So it must have been three games ago mm. or, or two two games ago. But he had like one more touchdown than Iowa's offense. Wow. I assume he's uh, he's lengthened that lead a little bit there. And then J.J. McCarthy, your quarterback of the year in the league, just under 2,500 yards passing, 19 touchdowns, four picks. His QBR, according to ESPN and how they calculate, is third in FBS. So the numbers don't jump off in terms of offensive yardage. Kirk Ferentz famously always says the most overrated stat is offensive yardage, but they get the production done and the scoring and certainly stopping scores against them. So all that said, that's why Iowa, according to Vegas, is a 23-point underdog at this point against the Wolverines, a role that they seem to relish and... That was the tale of the tape being asked about yesterday during press availability, including a, a great angle from Scott Docterman, which has really become one of the big talking points of this whole week is America loves underdogs, just not Iowa. And it seems like this country loves underdogs and Cinderella stories, except for the Iowa Hawkeyes. <laughs> Do you, can you figure out why? Is it because you're not flashy? Yeah, people or? love not to love us. I, you know, that's okay. I mean, just what it is. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's me. I don't know. I thought, you know, I'm thinking of a decent person. I don't know, but uh, whatever. Uh, yeah, and we don't, we don't, you know, broadcast. I mean, we've had some success, but yeah, you know, we just try to let our play speak for itself. I feel like everyone loves to hate Iowa. You know, we're always underdog, but I don't know. We like it that way. We know it's going to be a dog fight. We want to make it a dog fight. Yeah. Pretty much it. You know, you talked about the chip on your shoulder. I think everyone should have a chip on their shoulder, you know, where they're at in life um, or playing football, regardless of whether you're the favorite or not. And so um, I don't know if we're the favorite. We're probably not the favorite this game, but um, 
you know, it's going to be up to us to just go out and play football and do our job. I'm, I'm extremely proud, and I think all of our players are proud of what we've done here the last three, four, or five years. Uh, if you look at the numbers, they're not bad. Um, but I, I think, you know, there's also a stylistic part, and maybe, you know, we're not, uh, you know, pretty enough or, or whatever it may be. But, the, you know, the objective is to win games. Try to find a way to win. That's what you try to do, and that that's uh, our guys have done a pretty good job of that. So, you know, we're proud of what we've done and proud to have earned our way into this thing. And now, you know, we got a hell of a challenge on our hands. So Owen just crunched the, the numbers real quick. Technically, Blake's ahead of the Iowa offense, the mm-hmm. team keeping uh, keeping up with number two. for Blake Corm, 22 rushing touchdowns this year. He must, uh, I haven't watched him obviously a ton. He must just be mainly a running style back. Does he not catch the ball a he lot? He doesn't because, have a whole lot of the backfield. Yeah, he, yeah. so he, no receiving touchdowns for him, only rushing. But yeah, he's scored 22 rushing touchdowns this year. Iowa's offense has scored 20 touchdowns this season. Um, nine passing touchdowns, 11 rushing touchdowns. So again, if you want to compare Iowa's entire rushing game, they've scored half as many touchdowns as Blake Corm himself. Um, but Iowa as a team has scored 22 touchdowns this year between a pick six by Sebastian Castro against Iowa State and Cooper DeGene's kick return, his one kick return touchdown of the season. Against Michigan As some State. say. Yeah, I've seen video evidence of a second. <laughs> we won't get into that um, again. Uh, uh, what do you think about this? The idea that America loves an underdog, but yeah, you're right. If, I don't, and I don't know if it's, as Kirk alluded to, the style of just like, it's tough to believe, I guess, if you don't follow the team, that this team that doesn't have an offense, quote-unquote, can hang with them. I, what, you would think this would be the perfect opportunity for people to jump on and be like, oh, if you hate Michigan, root for Iowa. And people are like, but Iowa's going to get smoked. And that's the, uh, that feels like the national belief and certainly the national pushing of that that idea of like, oh, they don't have an offense. They can't do anything. They're the little engine of could that could, according to Joel Klatt, which I took as pretty benign, and Hawkeye fans have taken it as a shot across the bow. I don't I, know what I you think it, think of it. I think it depends on where you're looking. If, if like, you see people, Iowa State fans, Nebraska fans, and uh, and others, like, they're, they don't want to see Iowa win this. But I think if you look from, like, Ohio State, Michigan State, anyone in the East – I think they're like, yeah, you're probably not going to win, but I'll root for you because we hate Michigan. And I think, obviously, a lot of, you know, playoff contenders want Michigan to lose because they think that drop them out of uh, the four, the top four because there's so many undefeateds right now. There's more than, you know, there's four undefeateds, I believe, and then there's two one-loss teams, three one-loss teams that have a, a legitimate shot. So I think that's where you do see fans for Iowa, but I don't interact with any of those, and, and probably not a lot of people from Iowa. So it's just yeah. I, I interact with more Nebraska and Iowa State fans who are haters. So you do think that like schools like Nebraska, Minnesota are rooting against Iowa? I mean, I guess I know Iowa State I, is for sure. Yeah, well, yeah, that I could that I could believe. I just didn't know because like if I'm an Iowa fan, if let's say that they lost to, Nebraska, uh, to Northwestern, and Northwestern is a team that's playing Michigan in this game. I feel like I'd be rooting for Northwestern hardcore, just like number one, because again, it's an incredible underdog story. And number two, it's chaos in college football, which people seem to love. Uh, the idea that these teams that we've kind of been planning and scheduling and putting it uh, like as a lock in the bracket now, maybe is not going to be a lock in the bracket. But you think that people still, you know, across the Big Ten are still rooting for Michigan. They want to see Michigan in that game, whether you're a Nebraska, Minnesota, Wisconsin fan, or are you speaking more so just for an Iowa State person? I would, you know, probably the Iowa State, but on the other side, 
when the Northwestern was in the title game last against Ohio State, I was rooting for Ohio State to win by 50. Really? Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't want to, I didn't want Northwestern. A little Northwestern? Well, if they were the only West team with a Big Ten title, you know, you could take that as a negative against Iowa. Like, yeah. That's the way yes. I think a fan sometimes look. It's like, I don't want to see you have success. I'd rather have the team that always has success have success because it's par for the course. I think there's probably just the feeling, of, again, people who don't follow this team and just hear the the national college football media just talk about like well they don't have an offense they don't have an offense they don't score they don't score that you probably just feel like well what's the point of rooting for them then and you just watch it as a casual fan rather than trying to take a side because mm-hmm. it's they're like the Virginia men's basketball team where they're an incredible defensive team that's only Virginia's men's basketball team scores like 70 80 a game compared to Iowa's men's basketball team that scores triple digits regularly or high 90s and has one of the best offenses in the country but any Hawkeye basketball fan will tell you, yeah, there's ebbs and flows because there's not a lot of defense, which it's a style that doesn't call for it. But yeah. it's fun to root for because, hey, like, get your popcorn out. They're, the, they're a Marvel movie. <laughs> Whereas Virginia men's basketball and Iowa football, <clears throat> maybe a little more art, art housey. Yeah. You know, like, hey, like, if you have appreciate for how cinema's made, <laughs> like, you're going to love the director of photography on this. There's, they're great. They're sound of metal. <laughs> they're, uh, because I, I think. Roma, whatever and, you want to say. You're an EPL fan. Right now, yeah. Arsenal's at the top of the table. We're about 13 matches into the new EPL season. They only only have 27 goals scored, which is maybe like 7th or 8th in the table out of the 20 teams, for those that don't follow um, English football. Like, uh, Brighton is 8th right now, and I think they have more goals than Arsenal does. Arsenal's only given up 10 goals, though, which is number one mm-hmm. on the table. So they might not have the most fun style to watch because they're not winning every match 4-0 or 4-1. But, like, you know this as a Chelsea supporter, there is something thrilling about a 1-0 win where that one goal matters so much. Yeah, and that's the whole point because if you want to win with defense and special teams, like comparing it to soccer, you have to be able to actually get it when it counts. And this will be a test. Can Iowa do it against one of the best defenses in the country? Because this is going to be the best defense they play even – you know, to the next level of Penn State, and you saw outside of that first drive, they couldn't move the ball against Penn State. Different team, different, I mean, a lot less different yeah, quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but and everything went wrong in that game. You know, Eric yeah. all fumbles centimeters. When it looks like you're going to. And all that. Yeah. He was in, inside the, almost inside the red zone there. It was a great drive, yeah. Yeah. I am curious about this underdog role because when we were, when Matt and I were talking today for Eye on the Hawks, um, I brought up a comparison to the Iowa women's team going up against South Carolina because in terms of underdog roles, it's, it feels a little bit the same. Um, and, and I don't know if you guys would agree that in that game, would you say that also Iowa, America was not supporting Iowa? Did they want South Carolina to win that game or did they want Caitlin Clark and the Hawkeyes to win that game? I feel like they're, Iowa was a bit of an unknown since they were new, newish to that mm-hmm. stage. I, I think... The casual fan was fascinated to watch Aaliyah and Caitlin go head to head, which that was incredible. But I know talking to the team, like asking Kate Martin after that game, hey, you know, you had a great first quarter. You knew they were going to make a push, though. They're defending champs. Were you guys, I asked something along the lines of, you know, how did you prepare yourselves to survive that? And they're like, we didn't, she looked me right in the eye and looked not offended, but just like very like, very straightforward of, no, we thrived. We didn't survive. Mm. And I think that was their mentality. And I get the feeling that that's the mentality of this team too is like, 
we're here for a reason. Yeah. It, it doesn't, you know, maybe doesn't pass the, the looks test because we don't score a ton of points and, you know, we find every which way to win a ball game. But it reminds me of, and Kirk brought up the 2016 game against Michigan a lot. I remember Josie Jewell, it came out, I think, after the game, had gone to, to C.J. Beathard, who was a quarterback at the time, and said, get us 14 points. You get us 14 points, we'll win this game. And it took to the final kick from Keith Duncan, but they got 14 points. But I, I remember that being a fun little string that came out of that game. Was just, And I, I get the feeling that that's how this defense feels now. It's like, hey, you guys don't have to do a whole lot. We will we'll take care of the rest. Obviously a very tough task at hand against this Michigan team, a very different one from the, the Wilton Speed-led one uh, from 2016. But it's, it's the same same mindset, it feels yeah, like. They, they had the, I think, thinking back when I was looking today, the, the touchdowns for this team, I was like, boy, they had that pick six against Iowa State, and it kind of felt like, all right, this team's going to have another maybe three, four, five pick sixes this year, <laughs> and they just have never quite come. This weekend feels like the time where they need it more than ever. They sure. need to get a defensive touchdown. That's one of the most surprising things of the season, don't you think? Their yeah. turnover margin, I think I was, um, I wrote down, they're minus one on the year. I believe. Yeah, minus one. Wow. And Michigan's plus 14. Wow. So, I mean, that definitely, if Iowa has any turnovers, I think it's like game over, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you almost have to have a couple just because J.J. McCarthy, Blake Quorum, they are missing one of their linemen who got hurt last week in the game. Center, yeah. One of their b- better interior linemen. So, I mean, is that enough for, you know, the RD line's pretty good. It, But you have to limit the turnovers. And so far... Deacon's only done that one game, right? With no turnovers? In one or two, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So it's going to be a tough task for the offense, but if they can, just moving on from Penn State, if they can get first downs and make Michigan's defense play it a little bit longer than Penn State's defense did in that first half, then I think if you can limit, then if, you know, you have a chance in that second half if, if there's not a lot of scoring output from Michigan's offense. It's going to be talked about this going into Wisconsin too and turned out to be a career day for him. Torrey Taylor, you're not going to have any elements to deal with. I asked him about that yesterday and said like, hey, yeah, nice to have the wind at your back, but if you don't have to worry about any sort of stuff like that and you're indoors and only second time he'll get to punt indoors in his career, like, yeah, you'll take that for sure. Uh, go ahead. I was just going to uh, say about Deacon, he did not throw an interception against Wisconsin. Did he fumble the ball in that game? He had a fumble, but he recovered it. And he did not throw an interception against Illinois. Did he? Did he turn the ball over in a fumble in that game either? So there was that close one, right? That it was a fumble it. that was recovered for a first down. Yeah, thank you, That happened in Nebraska too, didn't it? Something uh, like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There was a boy. Some weird fumbles. In that weird one. replay. That. Yeah. Anyway. Well, speaking of Tory, uh, Big Ten punter of the year, one of several Hawkeyes, twenty in all, uh, getting some. Postseason honor, not postseason, but season honors from the Big Ten. We'll talk about that after the ad break. Big Ten awards announced over the last two days, just in the last uh, couple hours or so. We got the offensive side of the ball announced. So I think Mike's got some of the the web shots. Of the, go offense first, or let's go offense first. Okay. Yeah, Hawkeye football's got those real nice. Uh, yeah, those great graphics. headshot ones. Yeah, real nice, real nice for people working in in visual. <laughs> In visual jobs helps us out a bit. So you got eight Hawkeyes on the offensive side getting some sort of conference honor from the Big Ten. Eric All, 
course, has been out since Game 7 against Wisconsin. Uh, gets honorable mention on the coach's side. That's awesome to see. Connor Colby from both coaches and media gets third team. Nick DeYoung, the guy who talked about plugging in anywhere on the line. Third team from coaches, honorable mention from media. Jennings Dunker gets honorable mention from the media. Rusty Feth, honorable mention from both coaches and media. The transfer from Miami of Ohio was an all-MAC guard for the Red Hawks. Logan Jones, who we are expecting back, has been practicing this week. He should be back at center. Um, Tyler Ellsbury has been great plugging in for him, but he was third team from coaches. Media gave him honorable mention. Mason Richmond, honorable mention from coaches and media. And kudos to LeSean Williams, honorable mention, all Big Ten, both coaches and media. We've talked about how he's had some massive plays, the latest which of that was that 22-yarder against Nebraska to set up the winning field goal, but uh, surprised at any omissions or the fact that, uh, pleasantly surprised, I should say, Eric All yeah. getting honorable mention from the coaches because, again, <laughs> those seven games he was healthy. He was great. Well, He was great, yeah. And the, the one thing I was, I wasn't surprised when I thought about it, but when the first team came out, um, only one Big Ten West team was on the first Big Ten offense, and it was really? Isaiah Williams from Illinois. Sure. The rest, nine of the 11, I believe, or it might have been 11 of 13 because they were like, you know, coaches in media. 11, all but two were Ohio State and Michigan players. And then the other one was an Ohio, a Penn State player, that offensive lineman who's going to the NFL, and then Isaiah Williams. Yeah, Michigan had quarterback of the year in J.J. McCarthy, running back of the year in Blake Corum. Ohio State had tight end of the year in Cade Stover, receiver of the year in Marvin Harrison Jr. So, And you saw all those weapons on yeah. full display uh, on Saturday at the big house. Yeah, certainly Eric All is the biggest pleasant surprise for me because, I mean, the stats say he played in seven games. Really, he only played in six because that Wisconsin game, he got early, knocked yeah. out early. So for him, I mean, who is still leading the team in receiving yards by 72. If Nico gets 73 receiving yards, he could be the receiving yards leader by the end of the season. But um, he's still just through basically six games proved his worth. And they, they I, I mean, I just can't. It's hard for me to fathom that a guy who played just half of the season is put on any list at all. I mean, good for him because I think that maybe they just saw his talent, knew that he was a first-team caliber guy. Yeah, and again, Sean getting on there I think is awesome. Again, a, a running back room that's been beat up a little bit. We've talked about how every game it's been, oh, Caleb has a big big run and, of course, had the one against Illinois to, to lock up the West. Jazz, every time you watch him run, you're like, how does this kid run so hard and <laughs> keep getting up? And obviously had his yeah. his big game against uh, Iowa State, but Leishon, out of the all of them, has maybe been the most consistent if you're looking for some sort of consistency. I don't have the Big Ten total stats pulled up here. I thought Leishon could have maybe even gotten put up on a third-team list possibly. I mean, he was he's, up there, yeah. He's not a first- or second-team caliber guy, but 779 rushing yards this year. Oddly enough, still just one rushing touchdown for Leishon, but he's he's really been consistent. Start to finish this season. I mean, in a in a very busy running back room, he's really stood out as a guy who's been their workhorse a lot of the season. Been a ton of fun seeing the game. again. Uh, Logan Jones and his just his second season playing offensive line in general, um, and he's been banged up the last few weeks, most of November really. But great to see that again. Rusty Feth plugging in. Connor Colby just very quietly sticking to what he does and, and doing his job. And then again, Nick DeYoung and Jennings Dunker. Um, a senior there and a guy who has a ton of experience and then Jennings who has just been such a, a fun story whether we're talking about his daily diet or his ability to toss hay bales uh, he's been <laughs> super super fun to see what's great to see about that offensive line too that the offensive 
Big Ten honors turned out just about kind of like I thought they would. With I figured most of that O-line would maybe get some sort of recognition, honorable mention or so. I thought Leshawn could land on there. Eric was a surprise. But the biggest thing to think about with this offensive line is that even though there have been some games this year where they've been a little bit suspect, but they've looked good at a lot of games, everybody except Rusty is going to be back. I mean, this, this team still returns a lot of talent, and they're going to have a really experienced group next year and could be one of the best in the Big Ten, if not one of the best in the country next year. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know if Nick DeYoung will be back, but that'd be a, a tough loss to the experience. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of guys in that room that'll, that'll be back, certainly, and that's great. On the defensive side, as you'd imagine, plenty of honors for Iowa's defense, including Cooper DeGene being named not just the Big Ten defensive back of the year, but the Big Ten punt return of the year, so he gets in the special teams too. But you see there YA Black getting in uh, with some honorable mention honors from coaches and media. Sebastian Castro, kind of surprised he didn't get second team across the board. Second team from media, only honorable mention from coaches. Dante Craig, honorable mention from the media. Cooper Jean, first team across the board. Joe Evans, third team media, honorable mention from coaches. Jay Higgins, first team across the board. Nick Jackson, Third team from media, honorable mention from coaches. Logan Lee, honorable mention across the board. And Quinn Schulte, honorable mention across the board. I thought Seb Castro would get second team across the board. Yeah, I thought so too. You never know what these, you know, it, half the coaches didn't see him play because they didn't play him, you know. So I don't know how that vote works out, but yeah. he, he did outstanding. I mean, have you guys seen the clip? Someone isolated of him shoving up, shoving a, a Nebraska running back blocker just with his forearm. Really? Yeah, like just he's the same so size. Of him. He's Yeah, it's ridiculous. I could see him. I don't know if he's he's old enough, right, to go to the NFL next year. I don't know where he's drafted or where he's graded if he is at all. But I see him playing in the he, NFL. He's one of the dudes. That, yeah, that's been really since that Wisconsin game. I feel like that was his, at least on a national stage, coming out. I mean, everyone was talking about him after the Music City Bowl and the mm-hmm. game he had. But that felt like the one of just every single tackle he had was like, yeah, man, like he nobody gets away from him. he doesn't miss tackles. Yeah, he was a senior, but he's he's a guy that can come back too. Yeah, I, that was the big narrative was that uh, not uh, not more love for Sebastian Castro. The coaches uh, polls did not have anybody from Iowa on the second or third team. Yeah, they had Cooper and Tory and Jay on the first team. Um, Seb but, was on the second team, and oh, the coaches. You said coaches. my bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then everybody else was just honorable mention in the coaches' poll, which I, I don't know. To your point, I don't know how much they like really actually study or watch game film to see these Big Ten West teams that they're never going to play. I mean, would uh, would you know the Maryland coach have any reason to watch a uh, watch an Iowa game? Really, the yeah. way Kirk Ferentz talks in the season about other football games or other things in general it makes me think that they don't watch anything else, yeah. which rightfully so. I mean, he says like he never he doesn't even watch get to watch NFL games on Sunday. Yeah. And he's busy on Saturday. Do you guys put more any more stock? I mean, whether it comes to the rankings, top 25 rankings or things like this, do you put equal amount of stock or any more or less stock in the coaches versus the media poll? I never have. I honestly think I don't know why there's three teams in honorable mention, you know, like in general. It's cool that these players get, you know, um, recognition. But it always goes, reminds me of in basketball when the first team has like eight players on it. It's like, well, if you're going to field the team, they're not going to have eight players. You're going to have five. Yeah. You know, so a lot of conferences will do that. Um, I don't know why they need to put three teams out there, but it's it's cool for the players that made it. Yeah. Hey, listen, there's nine guys on the all getting some sort of all Big Ten honors on a defense that has eleven players. Mm-hmm. So your your only ones, you know, obviously Deshaun Lee playing now for Cooper, but. Jamari Harris and Xavier are the ones who don't get mm. any sort of Big Ten love, and Jamari's probably one of the better corners in the in the league, and 
Xavier, we've kind of talked about this too, since teams don't really go over the top a whole lot, he doesn't have a lot of opportunities for interceptions. He gets some tackles there, but like he's, he's a steady steady force at safety for sure. An interesting point about Xavier too, a few weeks ago, one of our guests that we had in, on Eye on the Hawks was um, Ed Miles mm-hmm. from Jefferson, and I asked him about guys he saw on this team that were future NFL caliber guys, and Xavier was one of the first ones that he pointed out. And I'm like, gosh, for a guy who hasn't played you know, a ton or hasn't put up incredible numbers so far, but he just sees that that X factor inside of him, no pun intended. Uh, As far as positive surprises on the defense, I was a little surprised to see Quinn Schulte there as an honorable mention. I mean, good good for him. Great to see it out there. He's all over the field, yeah. yeah, Third in the team in tackles this year. What's that? Surprisingly, third in the team in tackles this year behind uh, Jackson and and Higgins. Uh, Three safeties at Iowa, man. They fly around. I mean, I I don't know. To me, it felt like a little bit of a snub, maybe a a surprise that, um, that Jay Higgins was not linebacker of the year. Um, I mean, bit, yeah. am I am I off on saying that? I don't know much about the. Was it in Illinois? Yeah, uh, Ohio State? Ohio Tommy State. Eichenberg, I think his name is. I don't um, know a lot about him, but um, yeah, David Eichel put a, a blind stat um, comparison on Twitter, and I think he has like 80 tackles. Obviously, Ohio State is usually winning by more points in the second half, so mm-hmm. I think he has way less snaps overall. Mm-hmm. But Jay had more forced fumbles, fumble recoveries, and I believe more interceptions. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was a little surprised too, but I'm also like narrow-focused narrow watching Iowa every week. So I was like, well, maybe this guy's really good, which he, which he is a really good linebacker. Yeah. So. yeah, I think that David said too that he's just maybe a little flashier. You know, Jay doesn't have a whole lot of hits out there where he's really like in an, in an open field situation, really laying the lumber, like, you know, cleaning somebody's clock. Um, but Eichenberg maybe has a few more plays like that, so he's a little bit flashier, a bit, bit sexier of a linebacker. I, know, I noticed this every week when we go in and log our game footage and clips in our system is I'll, I'll mark as I'm shooting the game for, for those um, not familiar with the process of just we'll go, my, I usually shoot the scoreboard after a, a big play to be like, as I'm going through this you know litany of clips the next day, um, these video clips to load in, you know, okay, that's one to save. And I'll mark ones for Jay and then I go back and watch him like, it's a, Fairly pedestrian, quote unquote, tackle. Like, yeah. Nothing spectacular, but again, when you get 130 of them stacked up, yeah, kind yeah. of speaks to how I think good you are. One of those games where he had like 16 tackles, I'd saved maybe like one of his tackles yeah. that game just because they were all very, like, you know, assisted tackles or ones that just kind of were um, a, a big scrum of people together that you don't really even notice it hardly. A lot of lunch pail stuff. And then, of course, uh, you got the special teams as well. Uh, Tory Taylor, your punter of the year. In the Big Ten, Cooper, your return of the year. A lot of talk about how Cooper, I believe, was the fi- it was the fifth time in nine years that Iowa's won uh, defensive back of the year, has had a representative to win that. Third time in the last six years they've had returner of the year. Yeah. You had Amir in 2018, Charlie Jones in 2021, and now you get Cooper in 2023. Um, Drew Stevens, I believe, was second team for... <sighs> Media, yeah, second honorable mention coaches, something like that. How that went, but see, yeah, which was good to see him on there again <laughs> after after the last few weeks that he's had on the field. It's it's good to see him get some recognition from the Big Ten for having an overall uh, pretty great year for a young kicker. Yeah, third team coaches, honorable mention media. So Drew Stevens again sounds like he'll be the guy to start going into Indy as well. So hopefully, just a quick seat in Lincoln will be enough to. To shake up uh, any sort of negative vibes that he was still feeling after a rough first half there against the Cornhuskers. Uh, Kirk Ferentz never shies away from the fact that he's been doing this for 25 years, brings it up, feels like pretty much every week there's some story or 
mentions 81 when he first got to Iowa City and spent nine years as an assistant. He was asked uh, by Tyler Tashman from the Register yesterday about what this season and every lesson it's handed down from dealing with this litany of injuries to the off the field drama of this being Brian's last year and maybe that being announced at a time that he wasn't totally on board with and whatever it may be. Uh, he was asked about what he has learned and Kirk, as we've kind of alluded to a couple times this year, drew parallels to, to being a parent when it comes to being a coach uh, and watching over all these kids within the program. And there's, there's a lot of days, I'll say this publicly, there's a lot of days where I've over 25 years wonder if like, you know, do I have any idea what the hell's going on? Um, is anybody hearing anything that, you know, I think is important? It's kind of like being a parent, you know, same way. And then, you know, some way your kids surprise you every now and then. But, you know, a lot of the stuff, there are no, like, concrete answers. So you just got to do what you feel is, is right. Um, try to get input and, um, you know, feelings from people in the building, uh, people you work intimately with, and, and uh, you know, your players, too. You just try to you know, get a gauge of what, you know, what might be realistic and then try to, you know, shape it in a way that's good for everybody. But, yeah, you, you know, you, you think about it all the time and, uh, I don't mind telling you, I got a lot of doubts all the time. It may not look like it, but believe me, my mind, you, you and all know it's going through my mind most of the time. It's not good. Probably not healthy. But anyway, somehow, someway, we're still here. He's had some all-time snorts the last couple of weeks. That's, <laughs> that's when you know Kirk's really, uh, really cracking himself up or finding something funny. We've talked about this a little bit, and I've had a few people ask me as well. I don't know if you guys are the same. Kirk's emotions. Talk about it all the time. We've seen it now on like a weekly basis, it feels like. Certainly there have been bigger tent poles as we've gotten in in November, and you get the crazy win at Wrigley, you get a shutout against a really good Rutgers team, you clinch the Big Ten West, and then you win in Lincoln as well. And people have asked, Man, he's more and more emotional. Do you think, like, is he, is he not going to be back next year? Has he said something like that? I think as he draws that parallel to parenthood and watch your kids and sometimes you're your kids will impress you. I think he is just so amazed by this group that they've lost so many guys and that, you know, guys like Marshall Meter are just kind of thrown in after they've come in off the street from a text from LeVar Woods three months prior that I think he is just as flabbergasted as we are at times, even though he's around these guys so much and he sees, sees the work they're putting in. I'm just like, I'm sure even he in, in his mind, and you don't want to know what's going on in my mind, but like, I'm sure one of the thoughts is like, how are we 10 and 2? Yeah. How have we done it? There's, there's, and that's refreshing to hear from a coach. Be like, listen, we're figuring it out just the same as you are. The last two years that we've seen all these emotions, it's been two big things especially. It seems like Jack Campbell, like every time mm -hmm. he brought up Jack Campbell's name, he'd get emotional last year. Uh, and he was just a special player to him, I think. And then this year, yes, like you say, with, with all the injuries, with the next man in, with the way this team has grinded through and somehow pulled out a 10-2 season, uh, yeah, really uh, brings out brings out a lot in him. I, I was asked, too, by, by some friends um, over the weekend, like, is, do you think this is going to be the last? He, he just gets super emotional, like, after this game in the 1-4. I'm like, I've seen this, like, the past few years you've mentioned, like, it's kind of like this. And I don't know if it's just him aging and whatnot, but to me, it, it it's pretty cool to see that, you know, these macho football guys who a lot of times will try and, you know, mask any emotion will actually show emotion. So I, I appreciate it of it. Yeah. I'm curious to ask you two because the three of us have been around Hawkeye football more than 99% of the rest of the state of Iowa, and, and we've seen this team on the field a lot. We've seen them on Tuesdays, and we've, we've just had so much exposure to them. 
at this point, what percentage would you put on it that Kirk does retire after this year, that he is done? Where, where would you put that percentage in your, in your opinion? I think it's close to like 15. I wouldn't say a lot. Yeah. I, I think he's got at least one more, one to two more years in him. Yeah, I think the fact that he came out and because that was the thing after he was asked about his future when the Brian news came out and left it a little little vague and then the next day comes out with a statement of like, yep, planning to stay. I, I think, yeah, I, I would maybe put it 5 10%. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think. Have I thought of maybe I should write something up, stash it away on my computer just in case he surprises me? Yes, yeah. I've thought that, but, uh, you know, because the argument could be made that you put out the statement so no recruits decommit, and then after the season, then you make the decision when you have a plan in place so the recruits don't waver. But I legitimately think he's going to be here for at least another two years. He talks about he still still seems to love it, and that yeah. aside from spending time with Mary, like his favorite place to be is in the football complex, grinding out with these guys. And I think he talked about it after getting to 2015, 2016, as they were kind of like changing their routines and things too. Like he's a guy who gets on the bike every morning and is still active. And um, again, he's still successful. He's won 28 games now in the last three years. That's if, a lot of teams would, would really like to have that kind of production and success. If January, February comes around and Kirk announces he retires, I would not be flabbergasted. I would not fall back in my fainting chair and, and, and be all that blown away if it happened. So that's why I put the percentage, you know, maybe at, like you say, 15 to 20%. But um, there's nothing in my mind that makes me think that he's actually going to be done after this year. From everything they said, it would be a really big 180. A lot would have to change in his mind between now and a month from now for him to decide that this is going to be his last year. The only thing that makes me think, you know, have that even high as 15% is the new Big Ten aspect mm -hmm. with – we know how much he did not like traveling west for these out-of-conference Pac-12 games, which he's had in the past. He said he wouldn't do it anymore. It's going to be an 18-team league, right? 18? That's just insane. Iowa could go 11-1 and and still, you know, th theoretically miss the Big Ten, lose two games, and you're probably never going to make it because, you know, you have Michigan, Ohio State, and USC, all these blue bloods in the conference. Um, how does that impact recruiting? I just There's a lot of changes coming in. And I don't know if he'll want to deal with that. Like, it's the only thing I can think of as a, as a reason why he'd want to step down. So, I, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just now you probably had something to say about Kirk. <laughs> Mine was a little bit of a transition, but go ahead. So, I, going back to that Cade McNamara interview with with Matt and Laura, the fact that he Cade went out of his way to say like, and it was brought up from Laura that Eric has said the same thing. And I think a few other players were asked about it yesterday of just not wanting to let Kirk down. Mm -hmm. I don't think Kirk wants to walk away from them. I think he feels very much mm -hmm. tied to his players as well because <clears throat> in so many cases, I mean, that's what the program's based off, and I think why so many people that love Iowa love Iowa football is that they're, <clears throat> they're local kids or they're those, again, they were going down the guys who have won Big Ten defensive back of the year. They're all these two stars and three stars that Iowa's their only power five or they're two stars that didn't have any other offers besides Iowa. You know, Josie Jewell famously was going to go play at Luther and then gets a last-minute offer from Iowa. Can you imagine Josie Jewell going to Luther? <laughs> the core is a lovely town, and it's a beautiful campus. But Josie Jewell was meant to play on a big stage, and Cooper was got an offer from Iowa. Now it's like, how did how do you let Cooper DeGene get out of Old Iowa? <laughs> well, who in a Power 5 school that's not I think it was in the Iowa state? and South Dakota State, right? Yeah, he was going to be a jackrabbit. Yeah. I, I think that's, he feels... 
I'm sure he takes a lot of pride in the fact that they are still a program that doesn't need to go chase down rival top 25 guys, that they've got a way they can build and form and not just make a great football player, but I, you hear him time and time again, makes good people. Mm. And I think he, that's, he's, he's a teacher at heart, as a lot of these guys are. I, I think that's a tough thing for him to, to whenever he walks away. Yeah. That'll be a really, really tough thing because that's your whole identity. The only counter to that is the... Um and this is not a, necessarily a knock, but the only w- part of the team that hasn't really developed in the past five years is receiver and uh, any outside weapons. It seems we're, I was always super not deep at that position, and then quarterback hasn't developed. And those are two of the most important positions in modern-day college football. Um, but the defense is there, and it always has been, and all those guys that have been developed were, like you said, big development pieces. I, it's interesting to think about too if he if that would make, I mean I mean I like your point about him not wanting to let the players down or you know maybe not wanting to catch them off guard or uh, make an announcement that would surprise them. I wonder if he would you know once that time comes if he would make an announcement before the season that it would be his last year just so that the the program is able to like uh, very gradually move on you know so it's not like just a uh, a quick cut and he's out but it's like he he gives him a little bit of a time to make that transition and have those discussions about who's going to um be his uh uh successor um, it, that would make sense the fact that he would maybe come out and say something like that that would make season. way more sense than all of a sudden just in february like oh i'm done yeah just, um w- w- one last point i was going to make as we kind of wrap up this block and and as we were talking about the all big 10 awards was uh, a, a discussion i had yesterday is about with the big 10 expanding to 18 teams you know, at this point, it's a little bit like, oh, yeah, and these guys are honorable mention, whatever. Boy, when this is an 18-team league with the amount of schools that are in this team, an honorable mention is going to be hard <laughs> to come by. You've got to be a great player to be an honorable mention, all Big Ten player at that point. Exactly. The same is going to be true with the 14 SEC. teams. They might act that's a, a big deal. Yeah. Fourth I mean, team. You know, you talk about you know, a guy like Quinn Schulte, a former walk-on, who was uh, recanting his uh, or reminiscing about the the day that Kirk just kind of randomly walked up to him like, oh, yeah, you're on scholarship, <laughs> which is what Joe Evans kind of had, too, and I, that's just how Kirk gives out scholarships in the most mundane way possible. But, I mean, he's basically being named the fourth-best free safety in a 14-team league that's considered one of the better leagues in college football. That's pretty darn good for the kid from the west side. Yeah. One last thing, because someone, um, someone asked it in the, uh, in the chat. Kirk Ferentz's contract, current contract, he got re-signed a few years ago, is through 2030. Yeah. So. Jeez. So there's that too, and that'd be the first time anybody ever broke a contract. So wow, well maybe maybe <laughs> we're to have this discussion seven years too early. We'll, then. Yeah, we'll see. Um, real quick, we keep pressing back the ad break, but uh, David Braun, you you called it about a month ago, and you're wearing purple to show off for, for I knew today. It. Uh, Big Ten Coach of the Year, uh, another one of these that, and there's a, an argument for the Ohio State's linebacker winning linebacker of the year over Jay, but like. David Braun, Kirk Ferentz, two great stories. Great to see David win that, and just incredible. Five years ago, he's a position coach at, at Northern Iowa, and now he's the Big Ten Coach of the Year. But uh, boy, heck of a story! Seems like story. Iowa fans are super okay with it too. Surprisingly, I mean, as much as some yeah. people might be like, "Ah, no, it should have been Kirk," and Kirk certainly had a good case, but it seems like Iowa fans even knew, like, boy. Nobody thought this Northwestern team would get more than one or two wins this year. Everybody thought that, that team was going to be the laughing stock of the Big Ten, and they were they were winning it, uh, over Iowa away from being in the Big Ten championship game. So I feel like even amongst rival cities, rival states, there's a lot of respect for David Braun. Yeah, you can't argue with it. I mean, he, we all were like, are they going to win two games before the season? And 
They're second in the Big Ten they West. Barely beat Howard. Like, yeah. <laughs> even in this into the season, we weren't sure. How I, they were I told I Colt this yesterday. I was like, I thought they were going to go four and eight, and I thought I was crazy. Like, just, I mean, they. <laughs> yeah, I incredible. remember in the preseason, but you were like, we going out on a limb. Four and eight was going to be like, we're like, whoa, that's way too many for them. <laughs> okay, Are you okay? Bitch. Why would you do that? It's just, it, shared chaos. Certainly not to nearly extent in Evanston, but we've seen a little bit in Iowa City. Like, you circle the wagons and you. You huddle up and attack as your own, and yeah, they're they're happening. They're an easy team to root for right now. I mean, wherever they end up going to a bowl game, Duke's Mayo or wherever it ends up being. I mean, that's a team that I'll be I'll be rooting for wherever they end up in that postseason. That'll be a fun one. We'll look back at our picks from last weekend since we didn't get a chance to do that on Saturday, and we'll look ahead to championship Saturday around college football right after the break. All right, what was the damage? I went four and three. Yeah, Mike, you and Owen are now man, tied on Mike, tied on the season. Look at Mike go. I had a pretty good record, six and one. You had a great Penn record State overall. Winning. You're yeah. 39, 34 and two for those that are only listening. Mike is putting everybody else to shame. Wow, that's awesome, man. The only game I missed was Rutgers, Maryland. I had Rutgers plus one, Maryland beat them by a couple scores. And we all hit on Iowa and we all hit on Purdue. So uh, Owen went three and four, Mitch went four and three, and they are. Um, Tied on the season. It locked once again. At 32, 41, and 2. Are we tied for second or are we tied for last? <laughs> I bet, I guess it's your perspective. The holder, yeah. <laughs> Championship week, we'll have, to, uh, we'll have to be the one to be the decider. Mike is, Mike is so far up on us. So we're going to pick the five Power Five Conference Championship games uh, to wrap up the right. I don't even know what we'll do for Bowl Week. I was thinking that we get. Um, <laughs> what do we do for that? We open Every up a, a group in like CBS Sports, uh, Bull Pick'em, mm, and just fun. invite like anyone who wants yeah, to join and see absolutely. what happens. Like well, I'm the Hawks Bull Pick'em. I'll probably send that out on Monday when all the Bulls games are finalized. Sure. All right. Well, let's start with uh, the first game, which will be Friday, 7 p.m. on ABC. Oregon and Washington, a rematch of a regular season matchup that Washington won, but Oregon comes in as a nine and a half point favorite. I am leaning the direct, wait, Oregon's a nine and a half point favorite? Yeah. Yeah. Son of a gun. Um, because I was just going to go out on a limb and really pick Oregon to win this game. But, um, it's not really a limb I on the national sca- scope right now. Uh, more of a tree trunk. Um, yeah, uh, as we talk about the Pacific Northwest, home of many uh, lumber mills. Um, yeah, I do think that Oregon has a chance now to have a get-back game. And uh, with two one-loss teams in the Pac-12, are they going to knock their conference chances of any team getting in the CFP out? Um, that would uh, that would potentially be an outcome if, if they end up beating Washington. But they lost to Washington by three early in the season. Um, I do like Oregon's chances, but, boy, by nine and a half, I don't know about that. So I guess I'll, I'll, I'll pick Washington to, uh, to keep it a little bit tighter game than that. All righty. I like Washington as well. I, I know they haven't been playing the best in the past three or four weeks. They've needed a lot to, to stay undefeated, but yeah. nine is a lot of points. I know Oregon's playing some good ball too, but I'm just going to go did, did Washington. Did you guys watch the Washington-Washington State game? Yeah. Did you, what, what was happening with Michael Penix at the end of the game? That was a, a very bizarre moment where he the, had his head in a trash can. I don't know if he was puking or if he was like just – Emotional, like not wanting to watch, or what? What the situation? I'm not is. sure what it, it. It's the the commentary team, whether or not it was correct or not, talked about how Penix is famously for those that that cover him and know him, 
like doesn't show a lot of emotion, doesn't react a whole lot. And they felt that that was him just like in that moment letting it all out. Or he was just sobbing or getting physically ill from it or something like that. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's how it was explained. But he, I don't know if he's seen the kick go through yet on replay or not. <laughs> um, also, a super cool moment that kid, uh, that kicker got put on scholarship. I think yeah. at the at the end, which is awesome. Kalen DeBoer, head coach at Washington, his overall head coaching record is one hundred and two and eleven. Hmm. He is a fantastic. Is he a? Coach. He's a Midwest kid, isn't he? From South Dakota, or he's from Millbank, South Dakota. Yeah. Played at uh, Sioux Falls, which I believe was his first head coaching job, and then. Um, was the OC and QB coach at Indiana in 2019 when Michael Penix first went off. Um, so that's where that connection is. Having said all that about Kalen DeBoer, this Oregon team is just rolling right now. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to take them minus nine and a half, though, Mike. Slow your roll. Because it's, it's, it's bound to be a shootout, right? It's bound to be a shootout. It has to be. Yeah, what's the point total in this game? Nine and a half, uh, the point total. Oh, 65 and a half. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's what, going to be a lot. What's it like? But I think it could be like a... <coughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, Almost got in that time <laughs> with the cough button. Uh, like a 24-21 game. I'm... Yeah, I'll take Washington to cover, too. <laughs> but I, it wouldn't shock me if Oregon lambasted them. We'll see. Big 12 title game, Oklahoma State... Number 18 in the country against number seven, Texas. Longhorns still with an outside shot, maybe at a playoff spot. They are 15 and a half point favorites Jeez. over the Cowboys. This uh, one's set, interesting. That's Saturday at 11 on ABC. These two teams haven't played yet, I believe. It's the new Big 12. It's the first time in a, a couple of years where they haven't round robined it. Um, Oklahoma State early on, too. Remember when they were playing Iowa State? There were people like on message boards saying, oh, this team's quitting. And then they came back and went seven and two in conference Lost and to South Alabama in week three. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now find themselves in the Big Twelve title game. Yeah, I still think Texas is gonna a lot to prove. They still have a playoff outside shot at a playoff. I think they're gonna cover that spread and and kind of put a whooping on them this week. Uh, I tend to agree. One loss to an Oklahoma team who was playing well at the time with Dylan Gabriel. Um, I think that Texas could win this one by by at least three touchdowns. I'll do the same. They're uh, yeah. Texas is, is rolling really well. A team that's kind of in the same boat as Texas, and they only lost to Texas this year, Alabama, number eight in the SEC championship against Georgia, 3 p.m. kickoff on CBS. Georgia's a six-point favorite against the Crimson Tide. Mike? Yeah, this one is interesting to me. I, I've been going back and forth all, all day, and because um, I really think Alabama's going to give them a very good test. Um, I think they'll jump out on, on front the Crimson Tide, but I think Georgia's going to come back. I still think it's like a, a one possession game though, so I'm going to pick I'm going to pick Alabama just to cover, but I think Georgia wins. I'm a little bit in the same boat. Um, to, I'm going to pick Alabama as well. I I could see them winning this game. Georgia has looked a little pedestrian over the last couple of weeks. I mean, it, it took a lot for them to get past Georgia Tech last week on Rivalry Saturday. Um, so I, I think that Alabama could win this game in that that uh, fourth and goal from the 31 or whatever, the, the Jalen Mill throw, I think it's being called. That could go down in Alabama history as one of the most important plays in school history if that ends up being the play that leads to them getting in the college football playoff. But it won't. Georgia minus the six. <laughs> I, I, I still think a lot needs to happen for Alabama to make the playoffs. I, a lot of people think lot, they don't. Yeah. I, if, if Texas is there ahead of them, 
and if, Michigan's undefeated and Washington's undefeated and, and if if but if they beat Georgia, do you put Georgia into the CFP above Bama? I mean, that, they'd probably be four. Georgia and Alabama, or Georgia. I don't know if Bama would make it in. Yeah, but Georgia would be four. You think? I think Georgia would go from one to four. But you're two-time defending champion, and their only loss is that game. I don't know. I yeah. What happens though if if Washington wins, Michigan wins? I don't know why I'm pointing pointing here. And um, Florida State all win. There's three undefeated. They have to be in. 100%. If Texas wins too and Alabama wins, Texas beat Alabama. They have to get in, right? Yeah. And then the SEC is left out. Like, could that happen? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you just explained the, the scenario. That's, which you're yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. But I mean, would they leave it's, an it's SEC It's because team? people are just so used to there being an SEC team. Yeah. That it, Second you can't scenario. Leave them out. Yeah, you can if they're not worth it. That all worthy. happens. Texas is left out Alabama or Georgia's in and they win the national title that's not far-fetched <laughs> like Alabama winning the national title you at, need that playoff seed. expansion real quick yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of the aforementioned Florida State the Seminoles Sands Jordan Travis out for the year starting quarterback uh, up against Louisville boy uh, Brian Brom or Jeff Brom excuse me doing great uh, in his first season back at his alma mater, Brian was the old starting quarterback of the Cardinals back in the day. Uh, number 14 Cardinals, two-and-a-half-point underdogs against Florida State. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a real interesting one. This is the one that I think keeps the ACC out of the college football playoff. Um, I think that Louisville is coming off a tough loss to a Mark Stoops-led Kentucky team, a Mark Stoops continuing at Kentucky team. Um, and I think that they've got something to prove, and I think that Florida State just isn't the same without Travis there. Again, rivalry game, of course, but took a lot for them to get past a below-average Florida team. I like Louisville in this one. I'm gonna go Louisville too. I just I've watched Florida, I've watched Florida State early on in the in the season, and they were electric with um, Jordan Travis back there, and that Michigan State transfer uh, Coleman is a heck of a receiver. Oh my yeah, gosh, Coleman's he's made great. some of the. Like top three catches that I've seen in person outside of that Minnesota one in the first week, um, but I just think Louisville is is gonna get past them this week. It's really tough to win with a backup quarterback. Yeah, saying that as an Iowa fan, I was doing yeah. it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not playing Florida State, so yeah. Rotomaker really settled in though the last couple of weeks. Um, Tate Rotomaker starting for Florida State. I'm gonna take the Seminoles to cover. Hmm. I think they are. They they got a lot of dudes. I mean, losing Jordan Travis is tough, but um, and I it's been fun to watch Louisville do what they've done under Brown. But I think Florida State reminds people that hey, they're not just one one guy, and Mike Norvell gets them uh, gets them to the to the playoff by the skin of their teeth. That game will be played at seven o'clock on ABC, right at the same time that Iowa takes on Michigan in the Big Ten title game. Number sixteen Hawkeyes, a twenty-two point underdog, twenty-three in some books as well against the number two team in the country. There will be a black hole of viewers for that Louisville-Florida State game. <laughs> nice. You got him. <laughs> you got him. He muted oh, did you, you get me? Yeah, I, oh, I think so. For those audio only, I coughed. And Mike. <laughs> it probably came up on Owen's mic. Yeah, yeah probably. I'm big coffer <laughs> um, from the chest. Not a single person in the state of Iowa is going to be watching that Louisville-Florida State game. I feel like all eyes are, of course, going to be glued to, uh, to Fox and Gus Johnson calling Iowa-Michigan. I don't have any as much hope as I have that Kirk Ferentz is going to be gone after this year. Um, I have even less of a percentage of uh, of confidence that I was going to beat Michigan. I think they have 
maybe like a 4% chance of winning this game, but I do like them to keep it a little bit closer. I think that um, with that defense against Blake Corum, I think that they can bottle him up as they have done against some outstanding running backs across this entire season. The defense plays well, so I could see it being like a 16-point game somewhere in there, so I'll, I'll take Iowa to cover. I wish I had optimism this week, and um, I've loved watching this team play and battle back through some adversity all season. But this is by far the best team they're going to play, even Penn State. Um, I just don't see it. I think it's close, like the Penn State game in the first half. I think if this was a first half spread, I'd take the 22. But I just think um, I don't see, I don't have a lot of faith in Iowa being able to keep the defense off the field. So I think in the second half, it's really going to show and, and Corum's going to get his yard. So I'm going to take Michigan to cover. I just, I wish I'd, I could, I could believe Iowa would put up a fight I think they will but I just think they're just gonna be too much up front and in that second and or third and fourth quarter Michigan's gonna pull away and probably get over that there's a question of and we saw it against Penn State too and we've seen it against Michigan in 2021 against Ohio State in 2022 that when this defense gets 65 70 75 plays on that's you know half those points those 42 points in 21 came in the fourth quarter including two I think in the the last half of the quarter two touchdowns I believe it was 10-0 at half wasn't it and 14-3 14-3 okay I'm going to take Iowa to cover. I will not put anything past this team. It won't make any sense. It might be 13-10 again, 17-13, something like that. I, I don't think it gets to a, the spots that we've seen in the, in the previous ones. You know, everything had to go wrong in Happy Valley for that to be 31 nothing, and things really got sideways. Um, Columbus last year, they just kept pouring it on. Maybe that happens again. I don't know. Something weird about this team, man. Yeah. Can't, can't bury them. They don't die. They're the Terminator. They keep <laughs> coming forward. Again, the little engine that could analogy that Joel Klatt made, I think, was meant with all, like, no national guy has been a bigger <laughs> Iowa Hawkeye fan since 2015 than Joel Klatt. But I think he's also enamored with, with Michigan, too. I mean, he, he's the guy that coined the boa constrictor analogy. Oh, yeah, they had the graphic See, on Saturday. <laughs> I mean, I, I was a pretty good snake, too, I feel like. They kind of, I mean, again, they make every team play this strange style of football that maybe doesn't meet the, the style chart for a lot of fans, but hey. That's my fear, though. Michigan likes playing that way, too. Against Penn State in the second half, they ran like, what was it, like 20 straight yeah, rush throw, plays, yeah. and they just put it down their throat. And Penn State's got a good defensive line, too, and it, it's going to be... It's going to be a hard-fought game. I think it's going to be one of those games where national people are going to be like, this is kind of gross, you know? Good, good. But I just don't think they have the horses in the second half to keep up with them. I think the the play count's going to get too high, but hopefully I'm wrong. I I love being wrong when it comes to this stuff. I I wouldn't be shocked. I would try to do it two years ago in that fake field goal and and score early, and, you know, that's the thing that kind of got them off off schedule a little bit. I wouldn't be shocked if there's some – something akin to a round one knockdown by Iowa, whether it's Caleb or LeSean or somebody just gets some big players like, oh, and all of a sudden Michigan reels a little bit. Maybe they overcome it. I, I don't know. just feels like there's something, something big will happen for Iowa early that gets everybody to buckle their seatbelts. Might make this a little more fun than people are expecting. Hold on to your butts, as a wise man once said. That, Samuel Jackson, very under headline. Since we'll be there, it'd be like an amazing uh, thing to cover. Sure. There you go. So, fantastic segue. So, our our weekend championship coverage is going to start Friday on 
Iowa's news now. We'll have live hits. We're going to do a live hit at noon wherever we are in Illinois. So on CBS2, <laughs> we'll be on the noon show, um, wherever that may be. Uh, five and six from Indianapolis. We've got some interviews set up for the later shows at 9 and 10 as well. We'll have some probably coverage from stuff yesterday with players and coaches uh, for those early hits. And then Saturday, we don't have a 6 o'clock on CBS, so there won't be any coverage there. But 9 and 10, we'll have plenty of fan stuff. Love all stuff on social media channels. You see those there, Eye on the Hawks on Twitter, uh, Iowa's News Now on Instagram and YouTube. And we'll get stuff up on our social media channels as well. Owen Sebring on on uh, on Twitter, MC Thick on Twitter as well for me. And we'll just get as much stuff online as possible. And uh, we've got some podcast plans for some stuff as they come. Yeah, through. it's hard to it's hard to nail down. I think we want to do one on Sunday once the bowl information comes out. Once we know where I was going. Um, potentially another one on Saturday if things go right for the Hawks. So just keep your eyes peeled to these social media spots. Yeah, thanks to everybody who's uh, who's been following, especially in the last week or so, following some big posts from Mike. And Owen, oh, final thoughts before we uh, pack up and hit the road in a couple of days. It's been a fun regular season. And we'll, uh, if you have any, any suggestions, we love these on the road encounters like we had in Dallas and if you if you are listening or watching the show and you have a suggestion for anybody that would be fun for us to talk to while we're in Indianapolis for those couple of days feel free to shoot us a DM shoot us an email and let us know uh, who might be a fun encounter or a fun interview over those next couple of days any cold remedies too we'll take that anything that can help <laughs> uh, get off the remnants of a cold in like 48 hours or something please and thank you we'll see you in Indy folks and talk to you soon on Eye on the Hawks <laughs>